0: You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Last week we opened up this series looking at Nehemiah's broken heart. And the big idea from last week's message is that building always starts with broken hearts. Nehemiah chapter 1, the very beginning of the story of the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem, Nehemiah starts when he's not even in Jerusalem. He doesn't even know the wall is broken, and he finds out, and his heart is broken over what is happening. It is only after his heart is broken that he has this call, this burden, this desire to go and rebuild the wall. And we talked about last week the fact that we'll never rebuild what's broken if we are never broken over it. We'll never rebuild our marriages unless we have a passion, a burden for it. We'll never rebuild our lives unless we are burdened and broken over our sin, our offense to God, how we have blasphemed His name, turned against Him. I open up the message today and I believe that we all want to build something that matters. I open up the message saying, I believe that we all have something that we, we want to leave our fingerprints upon, that is a legacy, that, that endures, that glorifies God, that is something that matters to those that follow us, that, that we are a part of something that is meaningful. Today, I want to add that I believe that God is calling every one of us to that. Not just is there this sense in our hearts that, that, that's true of everyone. People who don't believe in Christ, they want to have a legacy. They want their name to be on something. They want to be remembered. But those of us who have trusted Christ, God calls us to something greater than just a legacy. God calls us to something greater than having our name on something. God calls us to build something that is the most meaningful something that we can build in this life. God calls us to build the kingdom. God calls us to build His church. God calls us to proclaim His gospel. God calls us to stand against sin, to stand against a culture that has forgotten God. God calls us to that. So we have this this inborn desire, but we also have this calling from God. Today we're going to see what God started in Nehemiah's broken heart. He carried out through the broken people of Jerusalem as God called them to rise up and rebuild the wall. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what God had put my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon wall, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall, and turned back, entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Here Nehemiah gives us an account of his surveying of the wall. And this is the first time that Nehemiah is getting a personal look at the wall. What he's known of the wall before now has been what has been told to him or what he's merely glimpsed as he's come into town. But now he takes time to survey, to ride around on a beast, a donkey, a horse. But then he gets off of it to get up to places where the horse cannot go. He's taking a, a, an inventory. He's serving just how broken the wall is. And it's interesting to me that Nehemiah devotes more ink to this than he does the speech that follows in verses 17 and 18. He does his inspection first, and then he goes to the people and speaks to them. So he's just said in verse 16, I had not spoken to the rulers, the nobles, the priests, the Jews, anyone who would do the work. But let's look at verse 17. Then said I unto them. Now he speaks to them. Ye see the distress... That we are in how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Nehemiah has told them, now they say to him. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. After Nehemiah has given the walls a thorough inspection, he sees just how broken down the walls are. He goes before them. He says, You see the distress that we are in. Let us build the walls, for God has been good to me. And the people respond they say, Let us rise and build and strengthen their hands. For this good work. When I arrived here in 2005, I was young. I was straight out of Bible college. I'd only been married a year. I had zeal and passion. I knew that a great challenge lay before us here at our church and here in our community. But I didn't know how great a challenge. I made mistake after mistake. I made blunder after blunder. I still do, hopefully, not quite at the same rate that I did in those early years. As time passed and I surveyed the brokenness around me and within me, as I came to know the town of Chandler and as I came to know my own inadequacies and weaknesses, as I came to to learn that Chandler is not like Mayberry in the Andy Griffith show, (laughs) and I am not like Andy Griffith in the Andy Griffith show, I realized that the work that lay ahead was greater than I had imagined. However, through these same years, I've also learned that the Lord is greater and better and more faithful than I knew. I was more unqualified than I ever imagined, but the Lord helped me more than I could have ever dreamed. I was more inadequate than I had realized, but God was greater than I knew. We don't have the full text of Nehemiah's address to the people here in chapter 2. But we do have his basic outline. He tells us here that he is summarizing. He says, I told them of all the things that the king said to me and how the Lord's hand has been good upon me. He doesn't give us the full speech. He doesn't give us his full battle cry for coming and building the wall, but he does give us his outline. And I want you to notice the main points of what Nehemiah says to the people before they respond and say, let us arise and build. So the first thing that Nehemiah says to them, his first statement, is you see the distress that we are in. Nehemiah's speech starts with, we are in distress. Now, Nehemiah could say to them, we are in distress, and everybody knew it. Nobody could stand up and say, hey, actually, I think the wall looks great like that. It's kind of a a rustic, you know, look. A deacon. No, it was clear. These gates are burned. They're not providing any safety. This is an embarrassment. It was obvious it was right before them. And today we're not talking about building a wall. We're not talking about building a church of brick and mortar, of wood and drywall. We are talking about building a church of people. We're talking about building lives. We're talking about rebuilding uh, families, rebuilding marriages, restoring finances, restoring hearts, renewing lives. That's what we're talking about. And it is easier to deny the distress we are in when it comes to our hearts and souls. The brokenness that we are called to rebuild and restore is More prevalent and more devastating than the broken down wall was. But it is harder for men to admit. It is harder for men and women to see. Nehemiah's call and burden was to rebuild the wall, so he stated the obvious. Look at the distress that we are in. And everybody said, yes, we see that we are in distress. We are in a mess. It's not quite so obvious this morning that you and I are in distress because today we live in a culture, in a world that gives us these these markers of success, these ideas that if we attain these things, we have succeeded. If we achieve this, then we have we have succeeded. We are not in distress. Things are great. And in America, though our economy is not what we would like for it to be, and it may not be as upwardly mobile as the generations before us, we are so very blessed, but yet we are more unhappy than ever before. Suicide climbs, addiction climbs, these rates climb, because while it seems that everything is great, things are not great. So I say to you this morning, like Nehemiah said to them that day, we are in distress, Our world is broken. Our community is broken. Our town is lost. Our families are dysfunctional. Our marriages are rocky. Our finances are distressing. Our government is corrupt. Our media is biased. Our news is faked. We are in distress. We are in distress. Perhaps to you that is obvious that we are in distress. But I want you to recognize that while we might have some sort of agreement that there is something that is off in the world. While people that are on both sides of the aisle politically, while people who do not agree on matters as as simple as absolute fact and and ethics and absolute truth, people who don't even agree on that can agree that there is something off in the world, that there is something that is not as it should be. But here is where we disagree. We disagree on what is the root of the problem. What is the source of the problem? Nehemiah says to them, you see that the walls are broken down and the gates are burned and that we are in distress. Let's rebuild so that we are no longer what? A reproach. Nehemiah recognizes that this is is a sad testimony to the fact that they are to be God's people. And why are they in this condition? Why are they in this mess if they are God's people? Because they turned their back on God. They walked away from Him. They, they, they They forsook His truth and His law. They walked away from His truth. Nehemiah knows why this has happened. He knows because he finds out firsthand about the wall. Remember last week we talked about it. He immediately weeps and he prays. And what does he pray? He says, Father, forgive me for my sin and the sins of my people. Why does he pray that? He recognizes that the condition of the wall is merely a symptom of their broken hearts. That the condition of their city, the condition of their society, the condition of their community is a reflection of the condition of their hearts. If you skip over to chapter 8, in Nehemiah chapter 8, he says, now once the walls have been rebuilt and the gates are put back up, he puts the priests back into service. He puts the temple back into service. In chapter 9, he has Ezra come and, and read the law for the people. And they would spend one quarter of the day reading the law and another quarter of the day weeping and repenting of their sin. Why? Because Nehemiah knew greater than the need for the wall is a need for the rebuilding of our hearts and returning to the Lord. What was the source of the problem? The source of the problem was their sin. Chapter 9, verse 3 says, They stood in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and for another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. A quarter of the day they read And then a quarter of the day, they responded in repentance. They had many sins to confess. Many sins to turn from. Why was their wall broken down? Because their hearts are broken. Our world is broken because our hearts have been ruined by sin. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He wasn't a preacher. But he knew this. And that's the reason he has Ezra... Get up and read God's word. Nehemiah comes with the cause of rebuilding the wall, but he knows that this is futile. It's vanity. It's of no use if their hearts are not changed. And the, the entire second half of the book is all about Nehemiah trying to bring the people back to walk with the Lord. That's his desire. And friends, we, we, can, we can give counsel and we can help people with finances and none of it will matter if the the broken condition of our hearts is not remedied that's what's broken in us is our sinful nature our world is broken because our hearts have been ruined by sin today we don't need to build a wall but our problem is the same our hearts have been ruined by sin and knowing the root of the problem is a big first step because until you know what is wrong, you can't fix it. Right? We've all experienced this. There is something wrong, but we can't figure out what it is. Right? Just my car won't start. And I get it going and then it won't start. And I get I get a jump start from a friend, but I, I can't figure out if my battery's going bad or I've got some bad wiring or my alternator's going bad. I, something something's wrong. I can't figure out what it is. Until I figure out what it is, I can't fix it. Hey, there's a there's a smell in the house. Honey, do you, do you smell that? Does it smell strange in the house? Is that just me? We'll spray some air freshener, cover it for a little while, but it's going to come back. Right. That's, I've done something to my back. I don't I don't know what's wrong with my back. It keeps hurting. I'm, I'm going to take some more Tylenol. And we keep coming back our car won't start, the house smells funny, and our back hurts until we find the root of the problem. We replace the battery. We get whatever it is that stinks out of the house, and we get what is broken in our back fixed. And we can we can cover the aroma with air freshener, and we can get a jump start from friends and we can dull the pain with medication. But until we fix what is broken deep within, these problems are going to keep coming up because they're just symptoms of what is really broken. Nehemiah knew that we could, we could rebuild the wall, but it has to be something more. So when he says we are in distress, he is pointing out the wall is broken down and they are reproached. But he knows that there is something that is an underlying issue here. But knowing the problem and fixing the problem are two different things, right? When it comes to our hearts, knowing that we are sinners doesn't mean that we can easily fix the problem. I use the word ruined on purpose because our hearts are ruined. They are irreversibly broken. They're totaled, if you will. We are unable to make the modifications. We are unable to do the restoration work. It is only something that can be done by God when he gives us a new heart. When he he, he restores us, he recreates us. Scripture uses this word of regeneration, bringing us back to life. Jesus talks about being born again. Why? Because you can't fix this. I can't fix this. Nehemiah knew they could rebuild the wall, but he also knew that they needed the Lord. And we can try to rationalize it, we can medicate it, we can numb it, we can distract from it, we can deny it, we can justify it, and we can even try to outwork it. But none of this helps, because there is no earthly cure for what is broken in us. But thankfully, there is no earthly sorrow that heaven cannot cure. Nehemiah said, we are in distress. And he also told them of the good hand of the Lord upon him. Last week we learned that Nehemiah was the, the cupbearer or butler to the king. And he goes before the king and he's broken hearted. And this is a step of courage to be sad before the king. The king says, Nehemiah, what is wrong? Obviously, this is, you're not sick. This is heart sickness. Nehemiah says, why shouldn't I be sad? The walls of my hometown are broken down. And the king says, what can I do to help? This is how good God is. God works in the heart of that king to not only give Nehemiah permission to rebuild the wall, he works in the heart of that king to give Nehemiah funds for the rebuilding of the wall, to give Nehemiah letters showing that he has authority to rebuild the wall. When Nehemiah would get back, there would be a lot of people that would have benefited from Jerusalem staying weak. They didn't want Jerusalem to become strong again. And so they worked, but Nehemiah had these letters from the king saying, I have authority to do this work. How does that happen? How is it that the evil king, the king that does not know the Lord, how is it that he ends up giving permission, paying for the work? God has worked on his behalf. And for that reason, Nehemiah doesn't say, and then I told him of the goodness and graciousness of the king. He says, no, I told them of the goodness of the hand of God upon me, even the words of the king. It was God who had done this, working through the king. This was an act of God. God was moving through a foreign king to rebuild Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the condition of the wall was bad, probably worse than any of them really realized. I'm sure that when they walked by it every day, they just became used to it. They justified that they couldn't do anything about it because they didn't have the funds. If they'd started, people would try to stop them. They didn't have the authority. So when Nehemiah shows up and says, we are in distress and the wall is broken down, I'm sure they're thinking, tell us something we don't know, man. And so he does. He tells them, and I have the hand of God has been working and I have letters from the king. He has given us authority and provision to do this work. You see, while the condition was worse than they could ever imagine, God was better. Nehemiah's speech is, we are in distress, but God is good. God is good. Friends, we are in distress. Our culture, our world, our hearts are broken with sin. But God is good, and God is gracious, and God is faithful. This constantly happens throughout Scripture. Things are harder than could have been imagined, but God is more powerful than could have ever been dreamed. Let me give you just one example of, of many that I could point to in Scripture God leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. That's a story all in of itself. Through the desert, another story all in of itself. Brings them to a promised land that they will inhabit. A land flowing with milk and honey. It's the, it's the best place that you want to live. It's the place that's out of your price range. right? You, you can't afford to live there, but he's going to give it to them. When they get there, they send in 12 spies to get a lay of the land. To see what exactly they need to do. They're going to have to drive the inhabitants out. God has told them he is giving them this land. They go to see the lay of the land. And the 12 spies come back and they say, it's it's beautiful. And they bring back evidence of how incredibly fertile this land is. How it is the land of their dreams. But then 10 of the spies say, the people there are stronger than we ever thought. They are like giants, and we are just grasshoppers in their sight. They will crush us under their feet. They say, it's harder than we can handle. It's more than we can do. And the people balk. Now, there are two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, who say, but the Lord will give us the victory. They did not deny the strength of the people in the land. They did not deny how difficult it would be. Rather, what they said is, but the Lord, but the Lord. This morning, you do not need to deny your brokenness and your sinful nature. You do not need to deny that you are lost in your sins. What you need to admit is, I am a sinner, but the Lord, but God. The the Romans Road. for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sin is serious, but God's grace is real. We are in distress, but God is good. Here's what often happens. We come to know our condition. We come to realize that we are more lost than we knew. We come to know what we didn't know. Or we come to know what we don't know. We realize just how inadequate, how weak we are we say, what's the use? Oh, friend, I hope today that you realize that you are weaker and more inadequate than you know. But that God is greater. God is more gracious. God is faithful. While your condition is worse than you could ever imagine, God is greater than you know. Tim Keller summed this up very well. He said, the gospel is this. We are far worse than we ever imagined, and we are far more loved than we could ever dream." The message of the gospel is that we are sinners, that we are lost, we are broken. But God is gracious and offering us forgiveness. So when Nehemiah stands before the people, he says, We are in distress, but the hand of the Lord is upon me. God is good. We are in distress. God is good. So the people respond, come, let us build. Come, let us build. I want you to notice what verse 18 says. The people said, let us arise and build. And the people strengthened their hands for the work, for this good work. When they saw the condition of their city and the goodness of God, they were moved to rise up. They were moved to strengthen their hands. And they came together to build this wall. The majority of chapter 3 is just a listing of all of the people who came to work. And there's even a few references to people who wouldn't work. But mainly it's, and -and so-and-so helped, and -and so-and-so helped, and -and so-and-so helped, and -and so-and-so worked on this portion. These were all people that they were moved by the condition of their city and the goodness of God. And they said, let us arise and work. Let us build. When we recognize our broken condition and we realize God's goodness, it will bring us together to praise the Lord And to work. To do God's work in building the kingdom. The people would be brought together not only for this work, but they'd also be brought together to hear the reading of God's word. They'd be brought together for for confession. They would be brought together for celebrating God's goodness. They would be got together for mourning their brokenness. They They would come together to work. They would come together to celebrate. They would come together to mourn. And to me, that's a beautiful picture of what the church is called to do. We are called to come together and celebrate. We are called to come together and work to build the kingdom. We're also called to come together and mourn and to weep together. Man, we've done all three in the last few weeks. You see, when we recognize, I was so broken. And God has been so good. We both realize that we have this shared brokenness, but also this shared rescue. The recognition of their condition and realization of God's goodness would bring them together again and again, but the first thing they do is they strengthen their hands for the work. They strengthen their hands for the work. And I don't think that the Bible is telling us that they all got gym gym memberships. I don't think they all went on a diet I think they started pumping iron. I don't think they wheeled weight benches out into the streets. There may be some literal strengthening of hands, but I think there was probably some gathering of materials, acquiring tools. But more than anything, this tells us that they set themselves to it. They committed themselves to this work. They didn't say, that's a great idea. Get back to us when you have more details. And say, hey, that's a great idea. We're interested. But, you know, maybe just not right now. No, they set themselves to the work. They committed themselves to it. They were preparing themselves for it. It wasn't something they said, yeah, let's do that someday. They said, let's do that now. Let's get ready. Let's show up. Let's get everything that we need. Let's make this happen. God is calling us to build his kingdom and when we realize how broken we were and how good He's been to us, we should not delay. We should strengthen our hands for the work. We should set ourselves to the task. We should jump into what it is that God is calling us to do. And if we were building, we would, we would go to Lowe's and buy the materials that we need. And we'd accumulate all of the tools from our garages and sheds and, and toolboxes. But that's not what we're building. So what is it that we need to acquire? What is it that we need to, to bring together? What is it that we need to do to strengthen our hands for the work that the Lord is calling us to do? Friend, everything that we need is not at the hardware store. It is right here. This is how we can strengthen our hands for the work that God is calling us to. Why am I constantly asking you to grow in groups? Because in our groups, we're asking you to know God's truth. And everything we need to strengthen our hands for the good work is right here. It's right here. They strengthen their hands for the work. And I think we can better appreciate what they say at the end of verse 18. Let us, let us arise and build, and they strengthen their hands for the work. I think we can better appreciate that when we, when we read it with the beginning of verse 18 in mind. Because the beginning of verse 18 says, And Let me tell you about the good hand of the Lord upon me. You see, the strength of our hands in the work will depend upon his presence, his hand upon us. They strengthened their hands for the work, but it started with God's hand upon them. It started with God's hand upon him. Um, Lincoln got this digger. McCole got it for him at a yard sale. Uh, Sometime back, he loves this thing. When he saw me put it in the truck this morning, he said, what are you doing with my digger? <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to use it in a sermon this morning. He said, and then you're bringing it back? And I said, yeah, buddy. He loves this thing. He take it out in the yard and he digs with it. If you notice, it has, it has two levers. One that operates the arm and one that pulls it up. And Lincoln can operate both of them when he's maybe just lifting up some loose dirt or some, some water. But when he gets into some, some actual compacted dirt or some gravel, he can't operate both levers at the same time. So he puts both hands on one or the other and puts his full strength and weight behind it. But to really use it, you've got to operate both. So there have been times that he's, he's trying to dig something, he's trying to pick up something heavy, and he can't do both. And he'll say, Dad, will you dig with me? And I'll stand behind him. And I'll put my hand on the controls. And I'll help him dig. And I'll help him work. Lincoln's getting bigger all the time. And he's going to need my hands less and less. But I found that the older I get and the more I grow in the Lord, the more I need his hands. On mine, yeah. sure. Nehemiah said, let me tell you about the, the good hand of the Lord upon me. Let me tell you about the, the work of the Lord upon me, what he has done. As we grow in the Lord, as we strengthen our hands, what we'll find more and more is how weak they are. And how much we need his hands upon ours. How inadequate we are but how good he is. They didn't strengthen their hands so that they could work independently of the Lord. They strengthened their hands so they could work together with God. And when Nehemiah called to the people, they came together and they worked together. And when God calls us to to, to restore lives, when God calls us to restore our hearts, when God calls us to restore our marriages, when God calls us to restore our community, we will come together to do the work. But it is meaningless unless we come together with the Lord to do the work. Because we must have His hands upon ours. Because we are more broken and far worse off than we ever imagined. But He is far greater and far better than we ever dreamed.